How many have your Bibles today? Amen. If you would go to Hosea chapter 2. Don't worry, it's not like that. When minor prophets are read, it's like, oh, Lord Jesus. Uh-oh, we're going to one of them little, pay, little books. No, it's not like that. Hosea chapter 2. I just want to piggyback real quick on what Albertine was talking about and just share a testimony. Um, years ago, um, we had a situation where we were in a very difficult, a very difficult financial trying time. And basically my check, because I'm self, I've always been self-employed, so if I don't work, I don't eat. And so it was a week where my truck had broken down and I didn't have a lot of money. I, had, I got paid, it was $400. And my bills that week, I was already behind my bills, my rent, and stuff that was already past due, and it was like, it has to be paid. Like today, it was $1,700. And so I'm looking at my $400, and I'm like, this ain't going to cut it. And then I got to give the Lord a tithe out of this. I'm like, this ain't going to work. And so something, I heard someone say that when what you have in your hand is not enough to be your harvest, make it your seed. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to just sell the whole thing because $400 ain't going to pay the bills anyway. You know, so, and I'm not advocating that. I mean, you know, but I'm just saying sometimes you got to do some crazy stuff, you know what I mean, by faith. So I said, man, I'm going to just give the whole thing. And I just gave I just gave my whole $400. And um, back then, they didn't have e-tax. E like now, you could file your taxes and get them back like a couple days later. Maybe, I think it's like, what, the next day, though, you could get a check. I mean, that, that was back then in 95, 96, they didn't have that. You, it would take like two months to get your tax return. And I had just filed it. I had just filed it maybe a week or two ago. So I wasn't counting on that. I'm not getting that. And so when I did that, I didn't do it thinking, Lord, speed that up. I was just like, Lord, you'll take care of it. Well, to make a long story short, the next Monday, the next Monday after that Sunday, I got my tax return for $2,200. For $2,200. And back then, how many of you know, back then, you got to call the IRS. Like, can I, when am I getting my money? It's been two months. You got my money, you know. So, so you know, God is good like that. And so, you know, if, if what you have in your hands is, is not enough to be your harvest, make it your seed, like Albertine said. And we're believing for, for this. Albertine, God's going to go watch. He's going to come through for that. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer as we get in the word. Father, we thank you today. We worship you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Lord, it, Father, we don't trust in, in man's ability to communicate your word. We don't trust in man's ability to pray for the word or to deliver the word or in our ability to hear, but we trust in your word. The power is in your word. And so today, Father, your word will transform our lives. Your word will bring light to the areas of darkness. Your word will set us free today, Father. You sent forth your word and delivered us, Lord. Father, we thank you. We ask that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to perceive and to retain what you're going to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Hosea chapter 2, like I said, when people hear the minor prophets, they get scared because God's killing everybody. And, you know, a lot of times when I would read the minor prophets, I, I, I used to read it with that mentality. I would see, like, God killing everybody and judging everybody and telling them how... 
he's sick and tired of their ways and their adulterous ways, and he was going to judge them and all this and that. But then I began to see that God, in the midst of all this, God would always drop promises. He would always tell them, look, if you repent, I'll restore you. If you change your ways, I'll, I'll, I'll bless your vineyards. I'll take your children as mine. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. And even in the midst of this, some of the greatest prophecies about Jesus Christ were given in the minor prophets. Out of you, O Bethlehem, will come one who will be ruler for me. Right, it says in Micah. And so all through, we see God dropping promises, even in the midst of judging his people. And so in Hosea, uh, for those of you who don't know the story of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet, and God told him to marry a prostitute. And the reason that he told him to do this was, he says, the way your relationship is with this prostitute is the way my relationship is with my people. And so, you know, here's the children of Israel looking at him like, mm, you know good, you're the man of God and you married a prostitute. But little did they know they were accusing themselves because God was like, you're doing the same with me. And, and now we're going to read some real, like these people were extreme. They had completely went off the cliff, completely went off the, cli off the cliff. Chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 5. And this is God's accusation against his people. He says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay for her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bells. She decked herself with the rings and jewelry, and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Verse 14, therefore, now, therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. You will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I want to break this down real quick because there's some things that God put on my heart as I read this uh, that really touched my heart, convicted my heart, and I'm just going to share with you that. So if you'd go back real quick at verse 5. It says that their mother was unfaithful. He's talking about Israel and has conceived them in disgrace. It says, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. What's he talking about? He's talking about Israel worshipped idols. They worshipped idols. They bowed down to things that their hands have made. They bowed down to statues. 
They bowed down to these uh, images that they had made out of gold and silver. They were not gods. They were just idols. And nowadays, we think about that, and that's stupid. Like, who's going to bow down to an idol? You know, I don't know anybody that bows down to idols. You know, that actually bows down to statues and, and, and actually worships them and puts their confidence in them. I know there's people out there that still do that. I don't know anybody that does that. So to us, that's stupid. We're like, why would they do that? That makes absolutely no sense. Now, you've got to realize that back then, they, Israel was surrounded by pagan nations. So God's telling them, you're not going to live like that. But all around them, people are worshiping idols. All around them. So when they would live their everyday life, when they would go to, to, to the store, to the marketplace, when they would go get water, wherever they went, they would see these pagans. They probably talked to them. They probably sat down and had conversations with them. And they probably, you know, they probably even knew some pagans that worshipped idols. And they'd look at their house and it was nice and fat. They looked at their yard and it had corn and it had trees and all that stuff. And maybe they would look at their situation and be like, man, we're, you know, it's, it's kind of slim pickings over here. I, I, I'd probably imagine they would tell them, you know what, if you worship Baal, see, you worship Jehovah. But your God, see, our God, he's the God of agriculture. And so I see that you're happy, you have a wonderful wife, you're always full of joy, you radiate with grace, and, and, and you're content, and there's something about you that's different. But then when I look at your field, I don't see much corn there. And the reason why is because our God is the God of agriculture, and so if you worshipped our God, you would get agriculture. Kind of like us. You know, I've heard a lot of times people will tell me that you can't get ahead doing it the right way. Sometimes you've got to cut corners. Sometimes you have, to, you have to do things so that you could get ahead in life. That's how the pagan world will tell you to do. You've got to lie and cheat a little to get ahead, right? And so there's this pressure that they had. It wasn't just like they're just oblivious. And they would worship these gods. They would worship these idols because they thought that that was a source of their provision. But what happened is it would leave them empty. It left them empty. And so God is telling them, he was like, you ran after these lovers. Who say, and they thought, you give me my food and you give me my water and you give me my wool and my linen and my oil and my drink. They actually thought that their provision came from these idols. And God said, but it was me. I'm the one who gives you that. Look in verse 6. He says, therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. God doesn't just say, I'm going to judge you because you're worshiping idols. He says, I'm going to orchestrate some things in your life. I'm going to orchestrate some things in your life. I'm going to block your path. I'm going to wall you in so that you can't find your way. In verse 7, it says, she will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. A lot of the times when God puts us in situations because maybe we're running after things, maybe we're just trying to, you know, trying to achieve the American dream. We're trying to attain success. We're trying to attain our career. We're trying to build our ministries. How many of you know that it's possible to be in ministry and be apart from God? You know that you can be so caught up in your ministry that you have no time for God? It doesn't make any sense, but it's possible. Trust me. It's possible to preach the gospel to people, tell other people about God, to be in the church, to, to, to mop up the bathroom, to give your offering, to come faithfully and serve, and to go out on the streets and yet not spend any time with God. It's possible to get so caught up in work 
that we're trying to just, we're spinning our wheels and we're trying to get ahead in life. We've got to pay the bills after all. We have to pay our rent. Our kids need food. We need to do all these things. And pretty soon, pretty soon you look back, you look back and you're like, where'd the time go? I feel so far from God. And pretty soon the enemy, or we think it's the enemy, but a lot of the times God begins to wall us in. He begins to put obstacles in our path to get our attention. And a lot of the times we can't discern what God is doing. He's trying to get our attention. And we continue, and things continue to go wrong. And we say, well, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. I really can't give now. I really can't go to church now because after all, it's worse. Trust me, I know. I run a small business. There's always constant pressure, constant pressure. I know why a lot of times people just would rather work for somebody because you put in your eight hours and you go home and that's it. But when you own the business and some of you that, are, that own a business are like, yep, mm-hmm, it never stops. It never stops. There's always pressure. There's always people getting, you know, they need this, they need that, they need this. And a lot of times when things begin to buckle, our initial reaction is, I got to do, you know, maybe I got to work harder. My five-day week got to become a six-day week. And then things begin to, and you think, you know, in our mind we're thinking it'll get better, but pretty soon things get worse. More stuff happens and they're like, I guess I got to go to a seven-day week. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, that pressure comes on us, and we see all these obstacles in our way. Everywhere we go, there's an obstacle, there's an obstacle, there's an obstacle. And it seems like we're walled in. And a lot of times, it's easy to just say, it's the devil. It's the devil trying to stop me. But you know what? Sometimes we have to discern, is God trying to get our attention? Is God the one putting these obstacles in our path? And it says here that God, he says, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. God was the one that she, he, God saw Israel chasing after her lovers, going after all these other things in life, putting other things in front of him. And God says, okay, I got to get her attention. So I'm going to block her path and wall her in so that she can't find her way. And what does she do? It says she, she will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. A lot of times our initial reaction when we're in these positions where we feel restricted or constrained, our initial reaction is not, I need to repent and come back to God. Our initial reaction is, I got to do more. You might be in a relationship and God is trying to tell you that's not a good relationship for you. And instead of, of getting the signs, of seeing the signs all around you, you say, oh, I got to try harder. I got to please him more. I got to please her more. Maybe I got to spend more time with her. I got to spend more time with him. I have to cut back on family time and church time so I could be with them more. And that's our initial reaction a lot of times. But God wants our reaction to be this, verse 8. It says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. He's saying, you haven't acknowledged that I'm your source. I'm your source. I'm the one that provides for you. You know that we don't get ahead in life because of how hard we work. There's people that are very educated. 
very intelligent, that do things the right way and still can't get ahead. By the flip side, there's other people that didn't go to school, didn't graduate, don't do things the right way, but it just seems like things always work for them. In the Bible, we see, you know, Joseph's story. I love Joseph's story. Joseph didn't get to the second most powerful man because of anything. Like, he didn't climb a ladder, of, a corporate ladder to get there. He had favor. God orchestrated things to put him in places where his skills would be noticed and he would be elevated. King David, there is no way you can become a king in your own power, especially when you're a little shepherd boy. But he had favor with God. He pleased God. And because he pleased God, God made a way for him. He touched his heart. He was a man after his heart. And he put him in places. He put him before the prophet. He put him before King Saul. He gave him victories everywhere he went. He defeated his enemies. And he made him a king. And a lot of the times we focus, you know, I got to get ahead. I got to focus on my education. I know a lot of parents, they put that on their children. You got to get ahead. You got to have a major education. And that's true. I, I, by all means, my, my, all my daughters are straight A students. I tell them to get after it. But I always tell them that's not the priority. God is the priority. If you, you know what? If you serve God and you obey him and you love him all the days of your life, I don't, you know, I will be more proud of that than if you go to school, get an education, get a fat job, and you don't serve the Lord. And so a lot of the times we're pushing this. We're pushing education and we're getting after it in school. We're getting after it in ministry. We're getting after it in work. We're, get, we're trying to build relationships and I got to do this and I got to do that. And all, and, and all the whole time we forget God. When God is the one that is able to change people's hearts. God is the one that is able to elevate us to a place of prosperity and blessing. He's the one that provides for us. He's the one that provides for us. And God is trying to get his people to acknowledge that he's their provision. In verse 14, God says, She went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. You know... God in the new covenant, God isn't after the fruit. Let me explain that. When Jesus came, he said, or John the Baptist, when he was saying that Jesus was going to come, he said that the axe is to the root of the tree. God isn't after the fruit, he's after the root. He said, you have heard it said, don't kill. But I tell you, if anyone's angry with his brother, he's already murdered him. He was telling the Jews, he was saying, you know what, you think that you, you, because you haven't killed anybody that you're okay. But if you're angry with someone, you've already killed them. He was getting after the root. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. The Jews were, the, the religious Jews were probably like, yeah, I haven't cheated on my wife. But he's like, but if you look at a woman lustfully, you already have. He was getting to the root. Under the new covenant, God is getting to the root of things. He's getting to the root. And so we look at this. This is a real extreme case. Someone that leaves God, completely worships idols. You know, they were offering their children to gods, to false gods. They were sacrificing them. They were having orgies and all this pagan worship. I mean, we look at the Israelites and we're like, whoa, they were way out there. I'm not that bad. But the reality is backsliding starts at the root. 
We can go to church and be backslidden. Example, the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son. One son says, I'm out. Give me my money, I'm out. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go drink, eat, drink, and be merry. The other son stays. He doesn't leave. But if you look at the attitude of the son, he's like, I'm just a slave. When he comes back and the, and the son that stayed, he was like, why are we celebrating for him? He goes out and spends all his money on whores and riotous living. And I've been here all this time slaving around you. He was backslidden. He was in the house, but not in the house. God wants to get it to the root. A lot of the times God begins to deal with us on a, in a way, in a stricter basis. He begins to hit the root because he knows where it's going to eventually lead. It's like HIV. HIV is not full-blown AIDS. Someone with HIV is not walking around with sores and all messed up and skinny and, you know, corroded. But they have, they have within them something that's going to turn into AIDS. And it's the same thing with backsliding. Backsliding starts at the heart. And if, you, if we continue on that path, God reaches for us and he begins to orchestrate things to get our attention. To draw us back to himself. Look at verse 14. This is the heart of God. You know, we might think, God, why is everything falling apart? Why is everything falling apart in my life? Why can I not get ahead? Why no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I work, no matter how much I put into this relationship, no matter how much I serve, I can't get ahead. Why is there always obstacles? It says, because you forgot me. Now there's people, you know, some of you serve God and you love God and you're faithful to God and your obstacles, you just got to believe through them. Don't let those obstacles, you know, obstacles doesn't mean that God is trying to get your attention. Sometimes we need to continue to believe in spite of the mountains. You know, Job was right with God. He wasn't going through that because he was not right with God. And so I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that, that obstacles in your path or stumbling blocks mean that you're not pleasing God or he's trying to get your attention. A lot of times God wants you to believe through them. But we have to discern. Sometimes it is God trying to get our attention. Sometimes it is God trying to say, hello, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm going to help you. I don't want you to do this by yourself. But look at verse 14, and this is the heart of it. Verse 14, he says, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. I love that verse. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. The valley of Acre, Acre means trouble. So you could say, I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. God's intention in walling Israel in, in putting stumbling blocks in her path. God's intention in getting her to a place where it feels like, I, I, I don't know what to do. You ever been there? I've been there. I don't know what to do, God. I, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you this from experience. I'm telling you this because there's always things on, it seems like I am always under pressure. I always have to make a decision that will affect me or somebody else. 
I always have to make decisions that are going to cost thousands of dollars, either for my company or for someone else's company, because people entrust me with their stuff. I have, you know, we're doing Christmas trees right now. We do trucking, for those of you that don't know. And basically, this guy entrusted me with all his work. Last year, we did a good job for him. He gave me all his loads. And basically, it's not easy to just say, hey, I can't do it. You know, I don't have enough manpower or I, couldn't, I wasn't able to make this work. This guy is, imagine, you know how they advertise on Walmart, how they're going to have uh, oh, uh, Black Thursday or Black Friday. They're going to have Black Friday and they're going to have all these TVs on sale, right? Imagine getting to Walmart and there's nothing there. No TVs, there's no, there's no you know, appliances, no clothes. You'd be like, whoa. Well, that's how this guy was. He advertises in Southern California and San Francisco all his trees, half off. It's the big push after Thanksgiving. And so if I don't get those things there, it's costing him tens of thousands of dollars. And so these are the decisions I'm always forced to make. Always. And my natural tendency a lot of times is how do I, how do I okay, how am I going to do this? I, I, my, 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 my little brother says I go into mad scientist mode. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this guy here and this guy, and I'm going to give him a day off, and then I'm going to move this and this and this and that. And God's like, I want you to stop. That cannot be your first inclination is what you can do and how you're going to fix it. Your first inclination has to be me. And a lot of the times that's not our first inclination. Am I the only one here? That's not my first inclination to get on my knees and say, Father, help me. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You're able to give wisdom even though I don't deserve it, God. You're my provider, God. You're able to create out of nothing. My natural inclination is, what am I going to do? This poor guy, I got four loads in Oregon and I got three trucks. What am I going to do? And then, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fly out there. I'm going to miss Thanksgiving. I won't be there on Thursday. And then I just got to call this and this. And then I'm like losing my mind. I'm walled in. And God is saying that when we get to those places, that a lot of times God orchestrates things in our lives to get us to the place where he can speak tenderly to us. Man, when I read that the other day, I will speak tenderly to her. I cried. Because a lot of the times when I, when I go through my dysfunctional times, I, my, I think that God is angry. That he's sick and tired of my ways. You know better. You've served me since youth. You've read my word front and back many times. How many times have I promised you that I'd come through for you? How many times have I? That's how I think of God. I'm through with you, Oscar. But the Bible says that he speaks tenderly to us. And at the place where we acknowledge, God, you're the one. When we get back to that place where it's like, God, you're the only one that can help me. You're my only hope. You're my provider. I, I, I don't provide... My provision does not come from what I am able to attain with my hands, but it comes from your hand. If I lose this job, you can give me another one. If I lose this relationship, you can give me another one. Everything I have comes from you. And we come back to the heart of God. 
at that place, we can hear him speaking tenderly. See, God always speaks tenderly to us. But when we're in this place of anxiety, when our heart is away from his, we can't hear the tender voice. The only way we can listen is through, through circumstances. And then he says, and there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the Valley of Acre a door of hope. At that place, God gives us back our vineyards. You know that when you're close to God, when you're right in the center of his will, when you're right in his heart, it doesn't matter if everything is going for you or against you. You're satisfied. You're satisfied. You're happy. You're full of joy. It's not like we say, oh, it's okay, I, don't, I know that, i got to pay the bills, or, oh, well. It's not that, it's just we can handle it. We know that God is going to come through. But it's when we begin to, when the circumstances begin to pull us away from Him, that we begin to lose our mind. But at that place, God gives us back our vineyards. And He makes the valley of trouble a door of hope. The very things that you're struggling with become the very things that God uses for you to help somebody else. The very struggle you went through. You're able to tell someone else, bro, I've been there. Oh, you're starting a small business, bro, I've been there. You're losing your mind, I've been there, bro. I've been there, yep, I've been there, bro. You can do it. Oh, you're going to step out and launch a ministry? You're going to work with teenagers? Mm, you can do it, bro. They're going to drive you crazy, but you can do it. The very, that very place will become a door of hope. And it says, there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. The days of her youth when she came out of Egypt. You know, one of the most happiest memories I have is when I first got saved. It's the happiest moment. I just rem- How many of you remember when you first got saved? Wow. When I first got saved, I wasn't thinking about businesses or ministries or my what i'm going to achieve i was just thankful i'm not going to hell i know god i I don't have to sell drugs i don't have to do drugs i'm free i live in you know i live in my dad's basement and you know it don't matter i don't care i'm saved i'm happy and full of joy god says i'm gonna take you back to that place verse 16 In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. You'll call me my husband. You know what? We think of God as master primarily, and he's not. He is our master, but he says, you're going to call me husband. There's a difference from a husband and a master. God is our husband, and he's a good husband. I know a lot of you husbands here, you guys are great husbands. You take care of your families. You provide for your children. You provide for your wives. You would go hell and back for your family. And you know what? We're sinners. And yet, that's what we would do for our wives. How much more our heavenly husband? And so today, I just want to encourage you. God is speaking tenderly to you. Some of you, in your heart, you're backslidden. You've strayed away. How do you know if you're backslidden? If your best memories are in the past, maybe you're backslidden. If you're looking back to, I remember six months ago, man, man, ooh, my heart was just burning. 
Maybe you're backslidden. Because the Bible says that we go from glory to glory. Every day it gets better. Every day our heart is, is more on fire for God. We want to do more. We want to love Him more. We want to serve Him more. And if that's you today, God is speaking tenderly to you. And He's saying, come home. I want you to stand. We serve an awesome God. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father, I know that we have choice servants of God in this house. That, Father, we are a house of people that love you, that would die for you, that would go to the other side of the world, Father, and do anything for you. Father, we are a faithful house. But, Father, many times, Lord, in our journey, Father, it is easy to, Father, forget what it's all about. Father, many times in our journey, Father, as we try to provide for our families, as we try to uh, uh, do a good job at work, as we try to build relationships or build ministries, as we try to uh, uh, get ahead with our education, pretty soon those things become our lovers and we begin to chase those other things. And pretty soon a day has gone by and we haven't spent time with you. Pretty soon a week has gone by and we have forgotten you. And pretty soon a week becomes two weeks, two weeks becomes three weeks, three weeks becomes a month. A month becomes a year. But Father, today you're calling us to your heart. And Father, whether we've backslidden a little or a lot, whether our heart has slightly turned away from you or maybe it's completely run off the street, today, Father, we give you our hearts. Today, we call, Father, we call our souls back to its place of fullness. We call our souls back to the place of abundance. We call our souls back to the place of life. If you're in this place today, and you would say, Oscar, I'm in that place. I've been there or I'm there right now. And I just, I just need prayer. I want you to come to this altar. This is a house of life. It is not a house of condemnation. I'm telling you this because I've been there. Things are always pressing at me. Always. But God is trying to teach us to stay in the beating heart of His presence. And to not let anything distract us. To not let anything take us off of, uh, 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 off of following His heart. If that's you today, I want you to come. These altars are open. And maybe you're in a mountaintop right now. Maybe you're on cloud nine right now, serving the Lord with all your heart. If you see someone up here, if you know someone that's probably going through a difficult time right now, I want you to encourage them and bless them and impart that life that you have into them. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. These altars are open.